I want to talk to you today about guidance. How many of you can say, I believe, Pastor Jeff, this week, God guided me? Now, let me, let me get a little closer. How many of you can say, the Lord guided me in a, in a decision? How about in a direction you were going to take or not take? How many of you say, he convicted me this week? Well, that's more hands there than anything. We need to have an altar call. Well, guidance can be very tricky. Be very honest with you. God's guidance can be tricky, especially if you don't understand how God guides and how God doesn't guide. So I want to talk to you today about something really important. I would probably, of the four messages I've brought on guidance in the last few weeks, this one is probably the most important, though I hate to compare, because I'm going to show you three signposts of God's guidance, how to know if it's God guiding you, because we're supposed to be a guided people. Let's read Psalms 37, verse 23, says, the steps of a good man, everybody looks at your neighbor and say, that's you. If you're washed in the blood, God looks at you and says, righteous, so you're a good man, good woman. All right, so the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord whether you know it or not. And he delights in his way. Now, I like verse 24. Though he fall, he will not stay down. That's what that means. He should not be utterly cast down. I love this. When you fall and the devil's standing over you, giving the count, God will get you back up before the devil gets to 10. Right? He'll get you back up. You, you, you stand up again and... Hell can't believe you stood up again, and a lot of your loved ones can't believe you stood up again. Some of you, people said, you will never be in church again. You are down for the count. You are out. But here you are in church today. How did you get back up? Well, you got back up because the last of the verse, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word today. I pray teach us about guidance. I pray that this congregation is a guided people, guided by God, and is wise in guidance. I pray you will wisely lead us, wisely guide us, wisely direct us, Lord. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive the word of God. Change me. Rearrange me. Renew my mind in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, God guides. Amen. God does guide. Now, um, the Lord here promises to guide the steps of his children. Now, we've shared in the last couple of weeks that he guides by direct guidance. We know that he's telling us to do something. We're aware of his guidance. But he also, because he's providential, guides us when we don't even know it. God guides us when we're not even aware of it. Because it says he orders our steps. He puts circumstances together, divine encounters together. He orders the circumstances surrounding his children. And he, he walks us along a lot of times, and we're not even aware that our step was guided by God. How many of you can say, there have been times in my life where I found myself in, a, in an opportunity or in a relationship or in a context where I said, wow, this must be a God thing. And you weren't aware God was taking you there, but God did. Because God leads. But here's the deal. 
How can we be sure as we're being guided or asking God for guidance? Because isn't guidance very practical? It's very practical. We need guidance about money. We need guidance about relationships. We need guidance about where we go to church. We need guidance about where we work. We need guidance about where we're going to live. We need guidance about things great and small and in between. We need guidance. We need, we need, so it's very practical. Lord, Lord, do I buy this or don't I? Do I, do I run with this person or don't I? Do I become a part of this church or don't I? Do I live over there or not? Lord, I need guidance. It's practical. And God promises to order our steps. But the deal is, how can you be sure when you're sensing or believing you're being guided that it's not your own imagination or your flesh or even more than that, the devil? How can you be sure it's not the enemy? How can we discern whether or not it's really God guiding us and not our own soul, our own wishes, our own desires? How can we be sure it's God? Today I'm going to show you exactly how to be sure it's God. Now let me give you an illustration. Uh, there is a particular harbor. It, it's, a, it's an Italian harbor. And this Italian harbor can be reached only by sailing up a very narrow channel uh, between dangerous rocks that many ships have shipwrecked on because the entryway into this harbor is so narrow, if you don't go down it just right, then you're going to hit the rocks and your ship is going to wreck and you're in big trouble. And, but it's a very needed harbor, and it's a popular harbor. So they had a problem. How, how are we going to get around this? So here's what they did. They erected three lights on three large poles, three lights sticking up in the air as the ship is heading into this harbor. And here's the way they did it. If those three lights merge into one, when I know, when I see light one, two, and three, when I start bringing my ship into line to go into that harbor, when I see those three lights merge into one and I can't tell them apart, then I know I'm entering the harbor right. But if I can see them separate, then I'm entering it badly and I'm going to hit those rocks. So every captain who goes into this harbor now, he will study the three harbor lights and he will, he will bring his ship around and, and taxi it in in such a way that when those three harbor lights merge and become one and all he can see is one light, then he says, now we're good, now we're safe, now we can go in. And he brings the ship into harbor. Now God gave us, when it comes to guidance, what we could call three harbor lights. And these three harbor lights have got to agree. If they disagree, if they contradict one another, if they don't line up and amen one another, then you can know for a fact it's not God's will. Now let me tell you what they are. The first one is God's Word, and that's our objective standard, the Word of God. The second one is the leading of the Holy Spirit, the, the inner leading, which is our subjective guide. The first one, the Word is objective, the leading of the Spirit is subjective because it's subject to you and to me. It's, it's within us, the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit. The third one is circumstances, and that speaks to the providence of God. How many of you know that when God is really guiding, then the circumstances come together for you to make a way, the way to go 
It makes the way possible for you to go that direction. In other words, the circumstances come together, amening what you know is God's guidance. So there's the Word of God, that's the first harbor light. Then there is the inner leading, that's the second harbor light. And then the third one is circumstances coming together on your behalf to make a way where there is no way. That's the third harbor light. When those three come together and merge together and become one, you're safe to sail in the direction you believe God's guiding you. But if they contradict, you need to put on the brakes, you're looking at a red light, you're looking at a stop sign. Amen. Amen. Now let me talk about them one at a time. Let me talk about the most important one first, and that's the Word of God. If you've got your Bible with you, can you just hold it up in the air? Hold your Bible up. Now say, say with me, that's my harbor light. That's the most important harbor light to God's guidance you've got. The Word of God. That is the number one harbor light. The Word of God is the unfailing, infallible, objective standard that God has given us to guide us through life. And the, and the Bible tells, that all, tells us that all the time. Let me, let me tell you something. Never forget. Never forget this. God will never lead us in a direction that is contrary to his word. Never. Everybody say never. 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 God will never contradict his word. He, no matter what you feel, no matter how strongly you want something to be God's will, or you believe something is God's will... If it runs contrary to his word, it's not God's will. You don't even need to pray about it. It's not God's will. Amen? There are no exceptions. There's no new truths. There's no new revelations that can overrule the written word of God. Nothing new. There's no new revelation. God is not adding to his word today. He doesn't add to it anymore. Amen? Let me tell you something that's free. If it's new, it's probably not true. And if it's true, it's probably not new. Okay? If it's true, it's probably, it's probably not new. But if it's new, if it's some new revelation, some new word that runs contrary to God's word, it's not true. And that takes care of all the cults in one fell swoop. Because every cult comes up with something new. There's a new revelation, a, a new word, a new angle, a new something. And, and if it's new, it's probably not true. And if it's true, it's probably not new. Because God's word, listen to what it says about itself. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Forever. Forever his word is settled in heaven. Forever. Forever is a long time. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. It guides my next step. It leads me down the right road. God never changes his word. The Bible you hold in your hand is eternal truth. God does not come along and say, oops, well, that was true for back then, but I better revise it in order to cater to this current culture. No, every culture must bow to the word. The word bows to no culture. The word is eternal. It never changes. What was wrong 2,000 years ago is wrong today. What was right 2,000 years ago is right today. What was true 4,000 years ago is true today. God's word does not change. It is fixed. It is fixed like the sun in the solar system, like the stars and the planet. It's fixed. It, it endures forever. Isaiah said the grass withers and the flowers fall. 
but the word of our God endures forever. And I could read verse after verse like that about the unchanging, eternal, infallible, inerrant, irrefutable word of God. And that's the first harbor light. Now, watch this. Deception begins when we take that first step outside the boundaries of God's word. That's how deception begins. Now, folks, let me tell you something. I've been preaching my whole life, and I want to tell you, never have I ever seen, personally, more deception in our nation and invading the church of Jesus Christ as I do right now. It's, it's amazing the amount of deception out there. And what amazes me even more is how many people swallow it, how many people take it, how many people accept it without ever checking it out. Deception begins when you take that first step. You're sitting there, and here comes a decision you're going to make, a direction you may go, whatever it may be. You go, well, you know what? I know what God's Word says, but I think this is an exception. You take one step outside of the boundaries of God's Word. And what you just did is you opened the door to deception. Did you know that being one inch off on a map will lead you a thousand miles off course? One inch off, one inch, if you, if you veer one inch on a map off course, you're going to end up a thousand miles off course. Taking one step out of God's word will lead you a thousand miles out of his will. So you're sounding real legalistic, Jeff. No more legalistic than Jesus. I said no more legalistic than Jesus. Now, I could be mistaken, but it seems to me Jesus moved quite well in the power of God. He prayed for the sick, raised the dead, cast out devils. Everywhere he went, he did good and healed people who were oppressed of the enemy. So, so, so Jesus was totally committed to the word, but within the parameters of being committed to the word, he walked in incredible power. So you can't say that being a word person is legalistic if the, being in the Word is what keeps you free and releases God. Amen. Come on, everybody. It was Jesus' insistence in the wilderness on staying true to the Word of God. The devil tried to coax him three times. The devil came to him with the Word, but it was a twisted Word. It was truth, but it was twisted truth. And he came to him with that Word, and he said, you know, uh, um, you know how he tempted him. Turn the stones into bread, you know, Throw yourself down from this peak and, 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 and the different things the devil tried. And how did Jesus keep himself safe? He kept himself safe by keeping himself in the parameters and boundaries of God's word. He quoted the word of God back to the devil. He let the word do the talking for him. He spoke the word and the word rebuked the devil and finally frustrated him where he left him. Amen. I would love to frustrate the devil. Instead of always saying, well, he's frustrating me. Jesus frustrated the devil by quoting the word of God and staying within the parameters of the word of God. Now, I have found that many believers today place more credence in experience than in truth. Put it another way. We put more credence on experience than we do the written word of God. If I experience it, it must be true. If I feel it, it must be right. And we don't run our feelings, our emotions, our spiritual experiences through the sifter of Scripture. We just let them happen. 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you today. This happens mainly, mostly, most of the time, in what we call charismatic or spirit-filled churches, and we're one of those. If I've been around a long time, now, not too long. Don't run with that. But I've been around a long time. And, and, and I've, my whole life has been spent in charismatic churches, so I know whereof I speak. But let me tell you that I have found that, that because people in charismatic churches walk in the gifts of the Spirit, have had some deep experiences with the Spirit of God, the, the danger is that you can trust something that is claiming to be of God or from God without testing it by Scripture because you've experienced it or you feel it or the emotion seems to lead that way. We're told, are we not? Didn't John say in 1 John 4, 1? In 1 John 4, 1, here's what John said. He said, don't believe every spirit. That means don't believe every message. Don't believe every experience. Don't believe every spirit. But test the spirit. Everybody say test. Test. It means try or prove, kick the tire of an, good grief, we kick a tire in a used car before we buy it, but something claiming to be God, we don't kick that tire. He's saying, kick the tire to see if it is of and from God. Now, why would John say that? He said, because many deceivers have gone out into the world and many antichrists have gone out into the world. And he said, you're going to have to be a discerning, smart, wise, biblical people or you're going to be deceived. This is what John wrote in the first century. The church was already being invaded by false teachers, false prophets. When Jesus was asked, he said, they said, Jesus, what is going to be the sign of your coming? The very first thing out of his mouth, the Son of God said, the sign of my coming, first and foremost, beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers. Beware of false messages. Messages that that misrepresent Christ, misrepresent Christian living, misrepresent the Word of God. Beware of messages that twist like the devil twisted the truth to Jesus in the wilderness. Beware of it. Watch out for it. Discern it. Be wise. Isn't that what he said? And, 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 all, and I mean, from the time Jesus died and rose again from the dead, I mean, 50 years didn't go by after his resurrection that the church was infiltrated by all kinds of false teaching and false prophets, just like he said. And our church, our, our, the church world today is no different. See, the devil doesn't come to you in, in a red suit with a long red tail and a pitchfork and horns coming out of his head and, and, and tell you, I'm here to deceive you. No, the devil comes like, a, like a, an angel of light. He comes like an angel. He comes like something that looks good, feels good, seems good, impressive. Charismatic, persuasive, influential. Somebody that's just slick. They look right, they sound right, they seem right. And let me tell you, the most successful deception is wrapped in 95% truth. Or else nobody's going to listen to it. Amen. Amen. If God is guiding you, he will never require you to compromise the written word or to place his word on the back burner in favor of an experience or an emotion. Never. Never. Uh, let God be true and every man a liar. 
Let, every, let God be true in every emotion a liar. Let God be true in every feeling a liar. Let God be true in every teaching a liar. If any of those things go up against and contradict the word of God, the first harbor light, it's out. Ixnay, done. You don't need to go on with it. The word of God holds us safely in the green pastures and still waters of God's will. It's like a welcome fence that is there, that is put around us. Not to keep us in, but to keep the devil out. It's a protective word. The word of God. So the word of God, the harbor light of the word of God, is the one infallible source of guidance that we have. It's infallible. If you understand it correctly, it will never fail you. And that's why the devil attacks, attacks it so much. That's why the word has always been attacked. Because it is the very God-breathed word. It is the word of the living God. And it's infallible. So that's the first harbor light. i got to look for that. Is what I'm feeling, the, the direction I'm going, the decision I'm making, can the word amen it? And if there's not a verse about it, I guarantee you there's a principle about it. Somewhere in the Bible. Now, the second signpost is the Holy Spirit, which is a a subjective guide. Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. It's good for you that I'm going away because going away, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he, when he comes, will guide you. Everybody say guide. Now, notice he said the Holy Ghost is going to come as a guide. He's going to guide you into all truth. So Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost. He's going to guide you. Now, how does the Holy Ghost guide the believer? There's one main way he guides us, all right? The the inner prompting, it's an inner prompting, but the main inner prompting that the Holy Ghost uses to guide us is peace. He gives peace or he takes away his peace. If we're walking into something that is God's will, he gives peace. It is a deep, settled, abiding peace. I know in my knower that I have peace about this. I may not understand it, but I've got peace about it. You know, when we came and we found this building, when we were looking for a a building for our church, when we put our eyes on it, we all went, oh my. No way. My elders said to me, all of them, they said, Pastor Jeff, we can do better than this. Because it was a a warehouse, it looked terrible, it was a mess. You haven't seen what it it looked like. But you know what? The Holy Ghost deep inside gave us this deep, settled peace. That's where I want you. That's where I'm going to put you. That's where I want you to be. He gave us a peace. And he made a way, trust me, where there was no way. He he gave us peace. He gave us a peace, a settled peace. It didn't make sense up here, but it made sense here. That's why the Bible says his peace is a peace that passes intellectual understanding. It passes intellectual understanding. His peace. On the other hand, there are times he can remove his peace and will remove his peace. You're making a decision. It looks right. It seems right. It feels right. But deep inside, you're losing peace. The closer you get to it, the more you lose your peace. The more you run around with that person, the more you lose peace. The more you head towards that business decision, the more you lose your peace. It's keeping you up at night. You feel tight on the inside. You had peace, but you don't have it anymore. I've lost my peace. And the Bible says, listen to what the Bible says. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
Now notice, what is the guard over the heart of the believer? God's peace. His peace. So that the Holy Ghost, and I love that word guard, because it's a military word. And it's like a sentinel. It's like a sentinel that is guarding over something. Like a Roman guard, a Roman sentinel. Like when they put guards around Jesus' tomb to keep him in. And what a fool's errand that was. You can't keep a good man down. Jesus got up from the dead. But, but they put a guard around it anyway. Now notice, those guards were like the peace of God that guards our heart. The peace of God stands like a sentinel over our heart. And if something starts trying to get into our life that is not God's will, the peace is removed. But if it is God's will, the peace settles over us. The peace of God is how God guides us in our decision making. You make a financial decision. And you have peace about it, a deep abiding peace. Or you totally lose your peace. And boy, I tell you, if you don't know, don't go. If you lose your peace, stop. Put on the brakes. Because if you lose your peace, God is talking to you. The Holy Spirit is a subjective witness, guides us by his peace and by his inner promptings. And he guides by taking peace away or giving us his peace. With anything you do in life as his child, the Holy Ghost by peace is going to guide you and show you what is right, what is wrong, what God is amening, what he's not. That's why the Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. When the Holy Spirit is grieved inside of us, that's the Holy Spirit removing his peace. And as he removes his peace, he's saying to us, don't do that. Don't go there. This is not a God decision. This is not a God thing. Back off. Stop. Avoid this. Go the other way. Don't do it. The grieving of the Holy Spirit. You know, when Paul and Silas went on their second missionary journey, they went to Asia, the, the huge region of Asia, filled with lost people. And they started to go in there and preach the gospel, which made total intellectual sense. Why would I not go into Asia and preach the gospel to the lost? But the Bible says when they got in there, the Holy Ghost stood up inside of them and said, it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So they backed off, dropped back and punted and said, well, okay, we sure assumed we should go into Asia and preach to all those people. And they said, let's go into Bithynia, a little Roman province called Bithynia, and they started going into Bithynia. But again, the Holy Ghost rose up inside of them, and it says he did not permit them. They were not permitted by the Holy Spirit. Well, how did the Holy Spirit forbid them and not permit them? I would venture to say he took his peace away. They couldn't understand it, but he took their peace away. You know what the Holy Ghost was up to? He had his eyes on a little town called Philippi. And when he shut Asia and he shut Bithynia, he gave Paul a dream and they were calling him to go to Philippi. And the Philippian church was born and the original jailhouse rock happened there. <laughs> and God had a better plan, Stan. He had a better plan. And so, so God removed his peace twice and they backed off and they obeyed. And they ended up in Philippi in a great move of God. And you know the rest of the story. So the Bible says, when God removes his peace, pay attention. When God gives peace, 
pay attention. But here's what I want to say about the peace of God. And listen carefully to this. The inner witness is not infallible like the word is. You know why? Because your soul can masquerade as the Holy Spirit and often does. That's why the inner witness is not infallible like the word of God. The word of God is an objective standard that does not change and is never wrong. But the inner leading can be wrong. How many of you honestly can say, you know, there have been some times in my life I just knew something was God's will, but it turned out my inner leading was wrong. Come on. Yeah, a bunch of you. I guarantee you I know exactly what that's like. You can feel within yourself. You can be so convinced. This is of God. I feel right about this. This seems right to me. Looks right. Feels right. This has to be God. But the inner leading can be wrong. It can be wrong. It can lead you astray. Because your soul and the spirit are so closely connected that it's very hard sometimes to tell the difference between what your soul is saying because it wants something to be the will of God. And what the Spirit of God is actually saying. Oh, Lord, I just know I'm supposed to marry that person. I just know it. I love them. I wouldn't love them if it wasn't God. Oh, you can love somebody and not be God. I see some of you going, well, about time I walked out of here. Watch, Watch this now. Oh, the inner witness, the inner witness. Oh, I just know. But then you say to them, but are they say, well, not yet. But I believe that my love is going to transform them. And I will, I'll get them in a church. Honey, let me tell you something. If they're not going to church before they know you, they're not going after they know you. Most times. And I'm just quoting Paul. How, how do you know, old woman, whether you're going to save your husband? And how do you know, old man, whether you're going to save your wife? But the inner leading can be very convincing. And the only thing that can help you discern between God's will and your own soul is the word of God. Listen to what it says. God's word is living. It's powerful. It's sharper than a sword that cuts both ways. Now listen to what this says. It cuts straight into where the soul and spirit meet. And it divides them. It tells what the heart is thinking about and what it wants to do. The Word of God, when you you open those pages and you begin to read and seek God about something that you want to know, is this your will or not? Am I being guided by you? Because it seems to me, Lord, this is you. The Word of God, like a sword, will cut between your soul and what it wants and the Spirit and what the Spirit is really saying and help you see the difference. That's why some people don't come to a word-preaching church. You know how many people in our day won't go to a church that preaches the word anymore? They want feel-good, tickle-my-ear sermons because they don't want to hear things like this. Uh, but, but you know what? I want to be in a church that tells me the truth, that preaches the word, that helps me grow, even if it stings a little bit sometimes. Seriously, we often hear somebody say, I feel led to go here, go there, do this or that. But they don't run it through the sifter of God's word. They never do. Some people, they never do. They say, I feel led. You got to be careful of that. Listen, deception walks in when we place inner leading over the authority of scripture. 
The third harbor light is circumstances. So you've got first harbor light is the word. If the word amens it, looking good. Second harbor light, the inner leading that will always agree with the word. Third harbor light, circumstances. The Bible teaches that the circumstances of our life are in the hands of a providential God. And he orders the circumstances of our life. And when God is leading, watch this church, he will providentially bring circumstances into agreement with where he is taking us. Have you ever noticed that? The finances will come in when God is leading you. That once impossible door opens up all of a sudden and you had nothing to do with it. God is leading. The things that you needed in order to pursue that certain path all of a sudden fall into place. When God showed us this building, we had the inner peace, this was it, but we had a real problem, circumstances. We didn't have any money. So we said, Lord, if this is your will and you're leading us, then the circumstances are going to come together on our behalf. And you know that the owner called me and said, let me meet with you. And I went and met with the owner and we sat down and when we stood back up, we had this building for the same amount of money we were paying for a building that was like 10 times smaller God made a way where there was no way. He, he took us through the Red Sea. I love the way God took his people through the Red Sea. It was his will. It's my will to get you out of Egypt and into the promised land. But I'm going to have to make a way circumstantially where there is no way. So God said, that's okay. Stand back. I'm going to blow on that sea. And I'm going to part it. And I'm going to blow on that mud. And I'm going to dry it up. And you're going to go through that sea with two high walls of glistening water on either side. And I'm going to carry you across as on dry land. And when you get to the other side, you're going to break into a dance because you're going to know there is no way this could have happened but by the word and God himself making a way. Amen. And you know what gets me is those Egyptian soldiers. What fools. They were crazy. Listen, if, if I'm an Egyptian soldier and Pharaoh says to me, chase them. And they're going across with two walls of water on either side on dry land because God dried it up. I'm saying, dude, thank you, but I am right now a wall. Because, because when the last Israeli got to the other side... God pulled his hand back, and that sea closed in on the Egyptian army. They have found chariot wheels at the bottom of that sea. From Pharaoh's army being swallowed up. God made a way where there was no way. That's circumstances. But i got to close with this. Listen carefully. Even though circumstances are one of the ways that God leads, it's not infallible. Just like the inner leading is not infallible, neither are circumstances. And I'll give you a quick example. David. When King David was running from Saul, we know that King David ran for 10 years. He was stalked by Saul for 10 years. And they lived a lot in caves and under the open sky at night. And they were always wondering, is he going to find us today? And one day, David and his men are in a cave. And they're in a cave hiding. And it just so happened, in came Saul. And he lays down and goes to sleep with all these eyeballs in the back of that cave looking at him. David and his men. David and his men. Now, now listen, if you're David and his men, here's what you think. Well, it looks to me like circumstances have given me this man, and it's time for me to take care of my enemy. As a matter of fact, his men said... This is the day of which the Lord told you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. 
But look what David did. Watch this carefully. Even though the circumstances were totally convincing, they looked totally of God. What are the odds that this man who is trying to kill me would have all of the caves in this area have walked into this one and laid down right in front of me and gone to sleep right in front of me as if to say, come get me. But David defaulted to the word. He said, I know the Bible too well. The Bible says you shall not put your hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, his men were sitting there saying, come on, David, if you won't do it, I'll do it. David said, don't you touch the Lord's anointed. Now, watch this. He said, I know what the circumstances look like, but they're not infallible. Even though it looks every which way but loose that this is God, it's not. Because the word tells me it's not. You shall not put your hand against the Lord's anointed. He cut off a little piece of Saul's robe, and you know the rest of the story. He went a long distance away and held it up to Saul when he came out of the cave. He said, I could have killed you, but I didn't. See, the word saved his future. Because if he had killed Saul, it would have always been said, David grabbed the kingdom by his own hand. But he waited for God to take Saul out. And when God took him out in battle, David stepped into the throne by God's hand. So you see, even though circumstances looked right, they were wrong. Standing with me, would you? Now watch this. I want you to say with me, the three harbor lights are God's word. God's inner leading and circumstances. But only the word is infallible. The inner leading and circumstances must submit to the word. And if, you don't have to repeat anymore, but if, if they contradict the word, it ain't God. Amen? So let's hold our hands up to the God who leads. Say with me, Jesus, thank you for guiding my life. Help me to remember the harbor lights. Now with your hands raised, I want to pray for you. I want to bless you. Father, this congregation needs your guidance. There are people here who need the guidance of God. I pray, guide us in a good path because of our enemies. Lead us in a good way. Direct our steps. And Father, I thank you for blessing this congregation with wisdom and discernment to try the Spirit to see whether they are of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise today. Amen, amen. Amen.